This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. Wild Precious Life is brought to you in part by Bluebird & Company, a community-minded retail partnership between Bluebird Books and Fancy and & Nell Clothing. As Crozet, Virginia's one-stop shopping destination, we host events regularly, from community meetups to interactive workshops and even meet-and-greets with your favorite authors. At Bluebird & Company, we encourage, empower, and support female entrepreneurs through every stage of their business journey. Come linger, grab a cold brew or a cookie for your kids, and peruse our lovingly curated book and gift selections. Stop by or shop online at bluebirdcrozet.com. And we're brought to you in part by Moms Writers Club, a YouTube channel and Twitter hashtag dedicated to writing and parenting and the intricacies of doing both at once. From craft talks to nap time, Moms Writers Club is hosted by two women who will help you find your way to both parenting and publishing success. Join the supportive writing community on YouTube and Twitter at Moms Writers Club today. I am of a certain age. Like many women my age, I've been raising babies for a while. As regular listeners know, my oldest will head to college this fall. While I've been fortunate to work and hold down jobs at the same time I've been a mom, I've also turned just a little bit away from some of my own passions to tend to loving my family. I am grateful for my kiddos and my partner, but sometimes this has meant saying yes to their needs and no to some of mine, or if not no exactly, more like not now. As I think about where the heck that last two decades of my life went, I think it's only natural to wonder about the roads not taken, the twists and turns when we could have gone left and instead went right. There's something about middle age that has us contemplating. What if I'd taken that job instead of this one, married or not married that person instead of this one, moved across the country or the world? For me, the pandemic highlighted some of this. We stopped and took stock of who and what we cared about. But now I also feel a kind of urgency. We lost people and we lost years. Now feels like the time to act. Fly to Barcelona, write that novel, chase that longing. The time for waiting has passed. I mention all of this because the debut book by today's guest echoes some of these aching themes. In it, we meet Johanna Porter, who used to be a painter, a lover, and an up-and-coming artist. Now, two decades later, she finds herself wondering what she still might be able to dream now that she's all grown up. So let me tell you about our guest. Before she started writing fiction, Sarah Reed earned a degree in women's studies from UC Santa Cruz. 
Some years and two babies later, she returned to school for a master's in nursing. A survivor herself, she now has the distinct privilege of caring for cancer patients. Sarah's short stories have been featured in the Missouri Review, Beloit Fiction Journal, and Zone 3 Press. And she's been nominated for a Pushcart Prize. Johanna Porter is Not Sorry is her debut novel. Sarah lives in Charlottesville, Virginia with her husband, two teens, a terrier, and three snarky cats. Sarah Reed, welcome to Wild Precious Life. Thank you so much. I'm so delighted to be here. Well, so you and I have actually never met in real life. Alas. Basically a stranger I met on the interwebs. But I feel like I know you because well you've interviewed you've interviewed me on your super fun YouTube show, Mom's Writers Club, and I've followed your online progress with this book, I think probably since its inception, maybe. Mm, um, probably. And I love this book, which means by the transitive property of literature, I basically love you. Um, so I feel like I've decided starting now, we're going to be friends. Um, Lovely. I I was going to email you. I was telling Jess, Jess Payne, who I do the YouTube show with. I was like, I really like Anne-Marie. Can you think I could just email her and say like, Hey, can we be friends? I want to be your friends. She's so cool. So I'm all for that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. When I was like younger, I could like troll for friends and I had time. I don't have time now. I just have to like cut to it. I want to be your friend. So since we're going to be friends, Fabulous. I feel like I should learn some things about you. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, so would you mind introducing yourself to me, friend? Um, What's your story, Sarah Reed? Oh, my gosh. My story is long and twisty. So I was born and raised in Washington, D.C., like in the city in the 80s, which was like crazy, sketchy time in that city. Um. And I went to UC Santa Cruz, got a degree in women's studies, came back to Washington, spent about a nanosecond in the office life, you know, with like work clothes and people in suits. And I was like, no, not for me. So I got the opportunity to come down to Nelson County, Virginia, which is like so rural. It didn't even have a stoplight in the entire county when I moved there and work for an Irish wooden flute maker. So I was a flute maker's apprentice. I learned to use a wood lathe. I played Irish fiddle music professionally for many years, but that was about, you know, three years of my life. And I met my husband, who's also a musician, and we got married and we had a couple kids. And I was like, oh, my God, pregnancy and childbirth is the most amazing, fascinating thing I've ever seen in my entire life. And so I went to nursing school thinking I wanted to be a nurse midwife. And I got through my OB rotation and I was like, oh my God, that's so intense. Let me just be a nurse for a few years and see how this goes. And I am still a nurse. And I was a labor and delivery nurse for eight years, which was amazing. I mean, miracle of life every single freaking day you go to work. Um, And that career sort of is crossfading with my writing career. So I'm working a little less as a nurse and a little more as a writer, and I'm hoping that they will finally crossfade and I will retire from nursing. And I live in Charlottesville with my husband and my two teenagers who just started driving. Both like, they both got their driver's licenses within like a month of each other. And it's like really awesome, but also kind of 
fucking scary. Totally. Um, <laughs> and yeah, that's kind of my life story. I have more pets than I want. And, uh, you know. So I want to rewind to the flute making part. So I applied for jobs <laughs> at a college and I was like, do I want to be a waitress? Do I want to sell jeans at the Gap? I don't remember yeah. seeing the the application <laughs> for Flute Maker's <laughs> Apprentice. If I had, no. I probably wouldn't have gone for it. Like, what what about your gender studies background made you think I shall make flutes? Nothing. Um, although, you know, people people would ask me like, "What are you going to do with that major?" And I was like, "I'm going to live, motherfuckers. Like, I'm going to, you know." They're like, what career field is that going to take you in? I'm like, that's going to take me into my life. So um, so I started playing Irish fiddle shortly after I got back to D.C. from college. And there was a great Irish scene there. Irish music is played in sessions, so it's it's very informal. Everybody's sitting around a table that's covered in, like, pint glasses and fiddle bows and stuff like that. There's no amplification. It's not a performance. It's very, very social. So I got to know a lot of people. And I got to know this gentleman, Patrick Allwell, who is the flute maker. He would come up to D.C. for various things and come to the session. And so I, I met him and I sort of became part of this community. And he actually hired someone else before me. He hired this German guy. And at the last minute, the German guy, for some reason, couldn't do it or chose to do something else. And I was like, and I had been like, oh, I wish that had been me. Like, I would love to do that. And then the German guy fell through and I was like, um, pick me, pick me. He is one of the most interesting people I know. Like we would sit in the flute shop all day, turning and filing and sanding and measuring and doing all this stuff and talking about everything, you know? So it was a really intellectually stimulating um, work environment. And I think all these things, I mean, I've had a lot of life experiences and um, and all of them have kind of fed, you know, they all feed you as a writer. I believe that. I, I'm thinking about this book is not about. Um, so your your debut your debut novel, I should I should say to folks, is called Johanna Porter is not sorry, and um, Johanna Porter is not sorry is not about making flutes, but it is about the creative life and what it takes to pursue the creative life, what you what you give up, what you sacrifice, what you gain. Yeah. So I do yeah. see I do see that in here, um, and when I first opened this debut novel and I read the first few paragraphs. I always take notes either in the margins or on a on a notepad. And the first word I wrote down was snarky. But I meant it <laughs> I meant it in the nicest I love that way. Word. That's one of my favorite words. Well it's yeah. the first word that came to me because the opening pages are a delight, right? Johanna Johanna's invited to this party and she is swearing and she's full of attitude and she is not going to go. Except she goes. And the <laughs> I, I wrote down like that this book grabbed me by the collar and then I crossed out collar and I wrote boob. I'm like, this book just like <laughs> grabbed me by the boob and invites me in with its like take yeah. no crap narrator. It it reminded yeah. me of like um the first few minutes of the film that I love for weddings and a funeral is all swearing. Oh, uh-huh. And it's just yeah. like you're just you're just all aboard, right? You know what this is, and Johanna is like that girlfriend. You get together with, you're going to pour a drink, and you're just going to dish. Um, <laughs> Love she's that. She's yes, delightful. Totally. And I want to be her friend, too. And since yeah. she's fiction and you're real, that means, again, we're going to be friends. Exactly. How did this character come to you? 
Oh my gosh. This character came to me like, like birthed out of the head of Zeus or whatever that is that am I getting the right god? Yeah, I don't yeah. know. You know, she she almost came to me sort of fully formed, not in her story, but just in herself. So I was working night shift on labor and delivery, and I was just starting to write seriously again. Um, I had done written a bunch in college, and then I had done music for a long time, and then I was I was just coming back to it, and I was starting to feel like I have stories to tell. Like, and and this character came to me, this character who is like a total train wreck, like. She is she is the car like in the ditch with its front axle all bound up in vines and like its taillights flashing, you know, and that's kind of how she came to me. This like total hot mess of a character, but but with but a character with a lot of momentum in a certain direction, like a character that is so um, like she's. She's got so so much impetus to um, to reclaim this part of her life that she's lost. She has so much drive, but she has like no steering, um, and that's kind of how she came to me: the drinking, the swearing, the Chesapeake Bay. Um, so she was re- she really lived in me all this time, and I wrote the entire book, and. I queried it. This was in like, um, let's see, pre-pandemic 2016, 17, 2018-ish. I queried it. It was a totally different story. Um, Different characters, same story world, same main characters, but different, you know, B stories and stuff like that. And it didn't go anywhere. I shelved it. I wrote another book, queried that. That didn't go anywhere. Um, and then I, I kept being like, I kept being pulled back to the story. You know, I was like, I am not done with her yet. Like, I have not done her justice yet. Like, I have to come back to this book and I have to rewrite this book, you know. And I took out major threads. The, the painting wasn't even in the first book. <laughs> for those, she didn't steal a painting. For pain. those who are listening, the whole book <laughs> is about the painting. So that's hilarious to me right. that it wasn't in there. That's great. Right. <laughs> It wasn't. She lived with me for a long time. You know, she came pretty fully formed and was like, you need to tell my story. I I love that word that you used. The word reclamation. I felt really such a kinship with Johanna. I mean, in many ways, it's a story about gender roles. For folks who haven't read it, Johanna was a painter. She's a 20-something-year-old up-and-coming painter, has an affair with a man, and then ends up living a very conventional life in other ways. She has a baby with with somebody else. She becomes a mom. And the art just sort of stops being part of her life. And when you read the book, you'll understand why. But the, the, the reclamation, the being decades into your adult life. Mm-hmm. I'm My oldest daughter is, has just turned 18. I'm, <laughs> I'm on this threshold of where Johanna is. And I do often feel like a disaster, right? Because I... I remember being the kind of person who said, I'm always going to work. I'm never going to be a stay-at-home mom. And then my second kiddo was born with some health needs, and I needed to step away from my career and and mm-hmm. until recently didn't go back. And I I just remember and, and really inhabit this feeling like of, am I any good anymore? 
Am I ever going to grow up and be the thing that I thought I was going to be? Will people see me? Do I see me? And she is such a knowable and recognizable character. I'm, I'm just in love with this woman because I feel very seen by her. Yeah. I think that is, that's what I hear from a lot of people. And I think that's going to be true for a lot of, you know, women in their forties and fifties, you know, um, I think, you know, when you're young, when you're like in your early 20s, sometimes you don't know what the fuck you want to do. But a lot of times you're like, oh, I'm going to do this and this is who I am, you know. And over a couple of decades, your identity can wind up all over the place. You know, you've got pieces of your identity in all kinds of different places. And that's just kind of life, you know. Life is complex in that way. But um but I think a lot of people feel a sense of loss, like there was something back there that they meant to do, and they never did it, you know? And this is kind of a story about a person who takes a lot of risks and is like, fuck it, I'm going to do that thing, you know? And so in a way, like, you can live, I live vicariously through her, <laughs> you know? I certainly did when I was working night shift on labor and delivery and writing when it was slow. Like, I was living vicariously through this this character. Yeah, she's a good time. And she's, there's a funny, like, highbrow, lowbrow combo in here, right? <laughs> so, so glad so you this, said this, that, yeah. yeah. this book features, like, at the same time, like, super fancy coffee and also Johanna trying to, like, brew dusty remnants of deeply expired coffee grounds that she then drops on yeah. the floor, never having yeah. any coffee creamer. Like, she wears this gorgeous, vintage Oscar de la Renta dress but she has no shoes to go with it. So she one time she borrows <laughs> shoes and they're too small. Another time she wears like combat boots. I mean, we get proper right. proper paintings and proper art galleries and cheap wine. We get we get spray painted, um, you know, spray painted on sailboat sails, and then we get great wine. Like I love this. These yeah. are just delightful surprises around every corner. And they do echo, I think, what you're saying about like You've lived a lot of lives. You've had a lot of experiences. And it sounds like some highbrow, some lowbrow. And they both fold into this book. And um, again, that juxtaposition is really just impeccable. And it was great fun. Thank you. Tell us a little bit of that early plot. Like, where do we meet Johanna? And who's Nestor? And just like the painting. I'm not giving anything away. This all happens in the first two paragraphs. I think it's even on the book, on the copy on the back of the book. Um, so Johanna is this 40-something um, soccer mom who uh, was once a kind of a rising star in the art world in her early 20s. She was really good. She was getting successful. Um, and she got involved with this Picasso figure, <laughs> this older man. And of course, it ended badly. And he sabotaged her career. And then, excuse me, like 20 years later, and at the beginning of the book, she gets an invitation to this private party for the opening of like this big retrospective of his work, right? This fancy private party. And she's like, oh, I fucking hate those people. But I have to go. Like, I can't not go. Like, that was my life. That was when I was on fire. So she gets this dress with her daughter, dresses her up. She goes and um, and she's like looking at all his paintings and they take her, he take, um, Nestor Pinedo, who is the, the older man she was involved with, takes her to the back to show her this painting that the frame was cracked. So they haven't hung it yet. 
And it's a portrait of her when she was in her 20s, when she was like in her power as an artist. And she is like struck dumb. Like, you know, she's like, oh my God, there I am. She creates this like instant relationship with the woman in the painting. And over the course of the party and several glasses of champagne, <laughs> she makes a very interesting and maybe bad decision, which is she goes back to see the painting. And she's like, that belongs to me. That does not belong to him. He stole it from me. That belongs to me. So she cuts it out of its frame, rolls it up, sticks it in her <laughs> big black parka. And she walks out and she's like, oh, I got to go. Bye. Mwah. This was a great party. Bye. Yes. Yeah. And then she's, of course, she's like, oh, my God, what have I done? It's an excellent inciting incident for those of those of you who are writing a book and are told, what's the inciting incident? In this case, Johanna steals the painting of herself. And that becomes both a literal plot point, right? I have stolen art. Mm -hmm. What do I do from here? So it's a literal plot point, but it is also um, metaphorical. Right. How do you reclaim yourself? How do you get back? Is it possible to get back the person you once were? What of ourselves can we can we find again? And what of ourselves was really is is never, never something we can get back. And I love the the way that this literal plot and this more metaphorical plot hand in hand kind of marches along through mm-hmm. the book. And I think that's what makes it so dreamy. Yeah, thank you. I'm also thinking about a larger question your book asks about, like, who does art belong to? Not just this one mm. w- mm-hmm. that she feels stolen picture, but I, I also felt that there was real tension in this book between whether art is made for everyone. Is it for all of us? Or is it really just the property, in this case, of the the wealthy folks who can afford it? Um, there was that just a beautiful tension kind of running through the book of like, who does art belong to? And it made me wonder, like, art out in the public world, like, what art do you just love? I love going to art galleries. Um, I really love modern non-representational art. It's, (laughs) it just is so, sometimes it doesn't work, but when it does, it is so moving. It's just, it's just incredible. Um, I went to an exhibition, a Rothko exhibition. Rothko it was the one who painted those, those color fields. There would be like two kind of squares of color and these very rich, dense colors. You'd recognize them immediately. Um, and and like looking at it on a poster or in a book does not do it justice. You get in front of those paintings, and you are like. Oh my God. Like I get chills even thinking about it. You know, it just, it, they just really move me. I'm glad that you said Rothko. So I had to look up non representational. It was in your book. I'm like, what's non representational <laughs> art? I, it sounds like it doesn't have a form. Like I'm drawing a picture of a person, but you're not going to see a person in it. That was what I thought. But I had to look it up. And I'm glad that you mentioned Mark Rothko because my very first experience with, with his painting was. I guess the word is ekphrastic. In college, my choir sang a piece called Rothko Chapel. And I kid you not, the whole <gasps> oh, thing was like, oh. mm, like we had to sing the art. And I had never yeah. seen the art before. So this Was it those 
three gray, black and gray paintings. Yes. <gasps> so it was oh, this crazy piece yeah. that I remember in college just hating it because it was like, mm. Mm, ha, and we were singing yeah. the paintings. And then I went, I want to say it was the Corcoran, but maybe it was the National Gallery. I don't remember, but there was a room where you walk in and you're surrounded by these giant canvases, you know, 18 by 24. They're enormous yeah. canvases. And you're basically standing in the middle of the painting. And I kid you not, I heard that music standing oh, so cool. in that place. It was yeah. one of the most eerie and beautiful experiences of my life where I thought, I had been singing art I'd never seen. What does it mean mm. to sing art to begin with? And right. how do you evoke a mood or a feeling or a disappearing into a more or I mean, I, I was it was incredible. I was at a an art gallery in Helsinki, Finland um, with my sister. And my sister was telling me the story that an artist friend of hers had said, or this thing that an artist friend of hers had said. And if you're listening to this and that's you, please get in touch with me because it was the coolest thing I ever heard. Um, she was like, her, her friend said, art, you know, making art is like you have this feeling and you put it into a piece of art and then the art goes out into the world and somebody else sees it and maybe has that feeling. You know, that was just amazing to me that it's not just an object. It's it's a feeling. The idea that I could I could draw my feeling into this apple and hang it on the wall. And years, decades later, you could come by and see that apple and feel the feeling that I embodied it with. Yeah, that's gorgeous. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Sax.com. I guess we should say there are there's not just one setting. So the part of this book does take place in the in the the DC art world kind of the the city, I guess. And then part of the book takes place on the Chesapeake Bay, right away from the city in right right on the water. And yes, one one man who's who's part of the setting is is the artist, the Picasso-esque Nestor figure, but there is another guy. There's a couple guys, but but the one we're talking about is Mitchell, <laughs> who she meets um, all but on a sailboat. You know, she meets on on the Chesapeake Bay um, at a particular time in her life and a particular time in his. And there's such interesting parallels in this book. So um, Johanna is someone who has taken time away. She she talks about motherhood. What does she say? She says um, about motherhood, like I resent it. Hate me for that if you want to. It's the truth. For 20 years, for whatever lame reason or no reason at all, because it wasn't available to me as a woman in midlife or as a mom or because Nestor Pinedo stole it from me, I have not had the strength to reclaim my calling. I have not believed in myself. 
I've done nice little pieces for school fundraisers. I've done a reasonably good job teaching the masses and mentoring the few students who seem to care. But I have done nothing, nothing anywhere near what I'm capable of. So that's her story, right? That's Johanna. She's been away. And all at the same time, then she meets Mitchell. Mitchell, who talks about kind of like the the opposite of that. Like he, um, he has spent that same amount of time you know, growing his craft, growing his his surgical practice. And, you know, his complaint to her is like, I can't give up all that I've I've worked for. I've I've spent decades to become chief of surgery. It's such an interesting like lament that they both have, like her her complaining of all that she's denied and him complaining about like all that he's worked for. I love the right. way they mash up against each other like that. Oh, that's so interesting. I never thought of it that way. That's the interesting thing about like putting a book out into the world is then other people read it. And then, and it's the same thing with a work of art. Like you don't necessarily get exactly the feeling maybe that the artist put into it. You get that, but you, it's filtered through yourself, you know? And so putting a book out into the world to readers like you, you know, is is so interesting because you see things in it that I'm like, oh, yeah, that's cool. I, I didn't know I did that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because, I mean, we are attracted to to people who are – who believe in us, but we're also a- mm-hmm. attracted to people who help us reclaim a part of us that we didn't remember we had – yeah. And there are some deliciously steamy parts of the book, which I will just tell people, <laughs> pour a drink and cuddle up because, oh, this is a, this is going to be such fun. I can I can picture book clubs reading this like women getting together and dog earing oh a couple of pages. <laughs> um. <laughs> one of the most fun things, one of the most fun things I got to do with this was write the the like discussion questions at the end. They were you know, my editor was just like, Carrie, you know, I'd like write about 10 questions that people might want to talk about in book clubs. And I was like, oh, my God, this is so fun. Flip through the discussion questions and let's do so, one. Let's see what the author yeah, wanted us I to have talk one. about. <laughs> okay, this is this is number two. And this is something we haven't quite touched yeah, on yeah. yet in this little conversation. What did you think about Johanna, quote, leaving her daughter to go to the house on the bay? Do you see it as neglect, selfishness? Not a big deal. An encouragement of Mel's independence. Mel is the daughter. Especially as children approach adulthood, what is a mother's duty to them versus to herself? Such a good question. Whoever wrote that question is very smart. Um, right, I know. Yeah. Because <laughs> so your child never stops being your child. And for those of us who are like grown-ass women who still have you know, someone in our life who's a parent, we know that they might make us feel like a child. But, you know, at what point, like, so Mel, is Mel 20 in this book? I'm trying to think. No, Mel is 17. So this takes place around January. So it's like her last half of her last year of high school. That's right. She, we get the description that she's 17 years old, nine feet tall, and built like the goddess of the hunt with a face to match. I love that <laughs> opening description of Mel because exactly like these these daughters of ours are such glamazons. They just they just the goddess of the hunt. Yeah, yes. So 17 year old Mel. Um, Yeah. So she's still living with her parents and there's a custody arrangement. She lives with Johanna on the weekends and she lives with her dad during the week. And um, when I was writing this, I was kind of like, well, this isn't such a big deal. You know, she's independent. She's 17. 
you know, and she's got her dad to support her up there. Like, like who the fuck cares? <laughs> but like, I got um, not exactly pushback, but I definitely have gotten comments about this, you know, about like, like should she really do that? Like, isn't that a little bit of a transgression of motherhood, you know, that she would, that she would leave like that and all for her own thing that she wants to do. Shouldn't she just wait another six months when Mel graduates and, and just, you know, just do it then, you know, but Johanna is like, like, I have to do it now. Like it's, you know, Yeah, I think, I think as a creative person, I'm going to side with the muse on this one and say that when You've got the muse. When you've got the fire to create, when when that wind is blowing in your direction, you have to because it's not all you're not always on fire with the desire to create or the vision. And my recollection of the arrangement in Johanna's life is that her uh, ex-husband Ben has Mel during the week when Mel goes to school. And so we're just talking about the weekends when Johanna is available to her daughter and incredibly communicative with her daughter, like really in touch with her kid. I thought disclosing more about her life than I probably would have felt comfortable with. And and she does go back, you know, go but goes back to watch some soccer games. But but I also felt like our job as mothers is not to bury our light under a bushel. I, I if I've got two two daughters and a son, if all I model for them is what it means to be a woman is to never do what you want. What it means to be a woman is to give up everything and never be happy. Like if that's all I model with them, that's what they're growing up to become. I don't want them to be like that. And Mel as a 17-year-old who's already into college, who I think you want to see a mom who pursues your her passion, even if it means you're going to mess it up sometimes. <laughs> Johanna messes it up sometimes. Um, but no, I, I was, I was fully on the side of go to the Chesapeake Bay and take, take a lover. (laughs) (laughs) But mom guilt is real. Mom guilt is real. And I mean, why did Johanna take 20 years, not 20, 17 years away? Like, why did she take all that time away? Some of it was the, the mom guilt. Some of it is her belief that. Uh, you know, she was taken from herself. She was split in two, that this painting stole her. Some of it was, y- y- you find out later in the book, that Nestor and his, his daughter, Pilar, you know, poisoned her reputation in the art art world. Right. And she was just so beat down. It was very, very hard to get back, you know, especially with her, her own particular history and everything. Yeah. So when you when you reach that, when you hit that point where you're like, like you called it the muse, where you have that... Um, you have that tailwind pushing you, you know, like you have to do the work, but sometimes you get a nice push, you know, and yeah, you got to use it. And sometimes you got to sacrifice other things. If you're doing right by your kids of all ages, if you're setting up those open lines of communication, that I think that you'll be okay if you, I mean, I in Johanna's case, she tells her daughter she's sorry when she is. I know that the title of the book is that she's not sorry, but but I, that's for I think a larger. But like she's she's open. She's open with her daughter. <laughs> Sometimes she's she messes sorry. Up, she she owns it. <laughs> yeah. And if she tells her daughter, "I just need you to trust me on this," her daughter trusts her because because that's the kind of relationship they've cultivated. 
So I'm okay with I'm okay with it. But I can see that there will be some readers who won't be. And that'll make for great discussion at the book clubs. <laughs> I know. I love the idea of, of book clubs. I'm like, oh my gosh, that's so I'm gonna recommend it to mine. Absolutely. Ah, so cool. So what's next? I mean, you've got this book and I know that you're gonna be hitting the pavement and you're gonna be signing books and going to debuts and things like that. But I mean, as any creative person knows that once the book's out there, there's probably another book following in its wake. So has what are what are you going to try to do next? Well, there's a couple books following in its wake. My uh, my editor already has my next book after this because the arc of publishing is very very long. But it bends toward justice. <laughs> Wait, yeah. I'm sorry, I got my quote confused. Yes, <laughs> yeah, maybe both. So or injustice, I don't know. <laughs> so book two. So I'm very, I'm always very interested in in what women do, like the work that they do and the things that that they're interested in or great at, you know, so that book two is about a, a very, very high level mathematician. And that was super interesting to research. So that is with my publisher, my, uh, my editor. And um, I am working on the next book after that. This one is about um, a high level finance executive who witnesses an interesting thing. And then has this has this knowledge, has this very um, sort of explosive knowledge, and she needs to decide what she's going to do with it. I will be on the lookout for uh, both of those things. Here at the show, we always like to close, as you know, with a couple of icebreakers. Um, it's, mm. the, it's the camp counselor within me. And <laughs> All right. Awesome. I loved camp. <laughs> right? <laughs> okay. Uh, these are just multiple choices. You just pick them. Um, coffee or tea? Coffee. Uh, mountains or beach? Mountains. Dogs or cats? Neither. Would you rather have a jar of paint or a jar of pickles? Pickles. <laughs> um, Follow-up question, sweet or sour? <laughs> um, like, are you like a... Because I know in the South, sometimes it's like the sweet pickles, but I mean, there's also dill pickles. What pickle... Uh, at one point, for folks who are listening, um, Johanna like, hurls a jar of pickles, and um, I wondered what kind. <laughs> yes, <that's right>. <laughs> <laughs> they were um, they were like the sour dill pickles. Gotcha. Red wine or bourbon? Bourbon. I thought maybe. Um, cake or pie? <laughs> Hi, but that's a close one. Yeah. Are you an early bird or a night owl? Oh, my God. I'm such a night owl. Yeah. You got to befriend the way yeah. you work. Um, if I wasn't working, this is a fill in the blank now. If I wasn't working as a nurse slash writer, I would be a sculptor. Nice. At one point, Johanna is definitely like kicking the shit out of some clay and I, I, I wondered if you had, if you had, um, what's that called? Wedging the yes, clay? Yes, I have wedged clay. <laughs> I actually, the, an old version of, a very old version of this book, she was a sculptor. And I went and took a sculpture class at my little local, you know, place. And it was super fun. Yeah. Nice. Well, maybe in a, in a future book, we'll see a sculptor uh, reappear. Um, are you a risk taker or the person who always knows where the Band-Aids are? Ooh, both. I'm a nurse. I always know where the band-aids are. Nice. That's true. <laughs> it's probably probably on every floor in every pocket. Mm -hmm. um, what's something quirky that folks don't know about you? A like, something you love, something you hate, a pet peeve? Oh, 
Uh, I was a like really great ultimate frisbee player. In my 20s. In California? I was like in D.C. I was on club teams in D.C. It was so fun. I played ultimate like five days a week. How do you... I was this big around. How do you throw the Frisbee so it doesn't do that annoying thing where it goes in its side and rolls into someone else's yard? <laughs> How do you throw it flat? Practice. Ah, that's the thing I never... That's, I'm going to write that down. It's, you know, it's like... It's like the arm, the arm and the wrist. And, you know, you got to be aware of the angle that you're releasing it at, <laughs> you know, like that. How fast you're throwing it, how far it needs to go. Sometimes you want it to curve. You can throw it so it does this like big, beautiful curve. Uh, what do you love about where you live? Oh, I love Charlottesville. I love the seasons. If I had all the money in the world and could be anywhere, I would be here in the spring. It is just just glorious. Well, now that we're friends, I feel like that was an invitation. So uh, spring's coming up. Yes, I ma'am. Will look at my calendar. Come visit. Um, Please do. <laughs> what's one of your go-to songs? A song that pumps you up, or a song that you just love? Oh, I put together playlists for books as I'm working them and I'm working on them, and I'm really into Eva Cassidy right now. She was a singer. She died fairly young, unfortunately. But she did some amazing, she did some amazing covers. And she did a cover of Cindy Lauper's Time After Time. Time that after I just time. love. Yeah. And I love the original too. I'm like grooving on that song. Sometimes you picture me, I'm walking too far ahead. You're calling to me. I can't hear what you've said. Useless information in my yeah. head but i'm gonna look up that yeah i love that song if you're lost you can look and you will find me time after time yeah, yeah. we are of an age i had that album <laughs> <laughs> that's a great the cover is so good yeah um what's a what's a tv show or movie that you love barely watch tv and my go-to and i i i, I don't i consume much like video entertainment but my go-to is the um is the kira knightley pride and prejudice that's the movie i curl up with some popcorn and it's like my comfort food if i'm like sad and just want an escape love it sometimes i will just pull up the scene where elizabeth runs from the church yes! and Darcy yes! follows her and it's storming. It's storming and he says All right. I love right. You. And he's like <laughs> and, and Thank their you faces for making your feelings so clear. I'm sorry to have wasted so much of, of your, your time. time. And I just will watch that. And they're like they're like this oh it's so it's such a good scene. So good. And so I, much oh, tension. I mean I, I just watched that the other day with my daughter. I'm my daughter is named Elizabeth, and so that's one of her. She's a Lizzie, so we love it. And I, I was determined. I was determined to hate that movie. As was I, because we had the other ones. Yeah. We had the BBC, and we had the A and E with Colin Firth, yes, of course, as Mister Darcy. We didn't need another one. Oh, that movie is a delight. Yeah, I've um um. Okay, I got two left. What's your favorite ice cream or dessert? Either really good apple pie. Or tiramisu. Nice. Those are very different. I wouldn't have them both together. but No, that's why I was yes. having a hard time choosing, fighting. so I gave you both. Might be a, yeah. That might be a choice next time for you. Apple pie or tiramisu. I feel like there are po parts of your book that are very apple pie, 
And I feel like there are parts of your book are very tiramisu. So it makes uh, some sense that you answered that way. All right, last one. If we were to take a picture of you really happy and doing something you love, what would we see you doing? Oh, you would see me wrapped in a towel on on my dock at my house in Finland, having just taken a dip in the cold Baltic Sea after a hot wood-fired sauna. Ooh, that also sounds like an invitation. Now I'm getting my calendar out. It is. Finland, like the country of Finland. The country of Finland. If you go anywhere near Finland, let me know. I will. That's fantastic. You just will never feel better in the world than at that moment. Well, Sarah Reed, thank you so much for joining us here today. Well, thank you for having me. It's such such a pleasure and an honor to be on your show. Well, I'm just glad that we were able to meet again. I mean, in this book, your debut novel, Johanna Porter is Not Sorry, you wrote that sometimes a person has to get out of their own way, you know, and I, I'm just, <laughs> I, I, and reach and reach for that bigger life. So I've been thinking about that to, to mm-hmm. everyone who's listening, get out of your own way and reach for that yeah. bigger life. And don't be, you know, don't be, don't think that the dreams are too much for you. That's what that's what dreams are for. Right. Uh, folks, the, the debut novel, Johanna Porter, Is Not Sorry, will be available at indie stores or wherever books are sold. Please, please order it. Pre-order it. Find it out there in the world. You will not be sorry. It is a delight. It is a snarky, sweary, just delight. You will be glad that you did. And um, to everyone listening, we are wishing you love and light wherever this journey takes you. Be good to yourself and be good to one another. And we will see you again soon. Wild Precious Life is a production of Evergreen Podcasts. Special thanks to executive producers Gerardo Orlando and Michael D'Aloya. Producer Sarah Wilgrube. And audio engineer Ian Douglas. Be sure to subscribe and follow us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Are you tired of seeing your teen or young adult struggle on a path that clearly isn't the right fit? Is your teenager confused about which direction to take after high school? The future of work is changing rapidly, and our kids need to know all of the options available after high school so they're empowered to make the choice that is best for them. In each episode, we explore the latest trends that are shaping the opportunities of today and tomorrow. I'm your host, Betsy Jewell, and this is the High School Hamster Wheel Podcast.